And we are back. So I've been uh, debating on uh, a name for this. We started with We Was, but while I was walking earlier today, I was thinking about the, the unmastered debaters. Okay. Which is kind of which is kind of corny, but also like hilarious. Okay, interesting. interesting. So I kind of like that. The unmastered debaters. Yeah. I like dick jokes. Um, it, it ties in. I don't like to play with them too much. True. <laughs> so so what's this episode, Elzar? I mean, I think it's I like because we were talking about last night, and then like what we were talking about right now. I think that's a very um, like interesting line to. Uh, to further. What is? The aspect of, like, using logic to prove God. Or to prove the existence as so far as that goes. Because, for me, it's... Like, logic only goes so far in those arguments. Of course. In that... It's easy to, or not easy, it's easier to show that by pure logic you can live a meaningful life that you do, like, or you practice things that make you feel well and good when things are going well, but when, like, your nose is to the grindstone, when things are going bad, it doesn't explain why things would go bad when you've been practicing and been stringent and disciplined within yourself in regards to those things, yet things don't feel okay. Yeah, so there's a difference between justifying God logically and trying to live your life uh, in accordance with your own logical axioms or like proofs that you made yourself. I agree that if you try to make your own, if you try to live your life by logic, you'll probably meet disaster a lot sooner than if you were to follow a uh, moral code that is true absence of what is seemingly rational to you in any sort of given time. Yeah, definitely. It it reminds me of something you said um, the other week, and I'm not sure if you got it from somewhere else but it definitely is a like a hardcore line that like hits the dome and the mind more than necessarily the brain and the body is that it's you don't have to be smart to live a good life of course yeah i got something for your brain your body and your mind bro <laughs> no yeah no you don't know the like the 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 and this kind of uh I'll, I'll try not to branch off too much but like this is kind of the fundamental belief that uh we like i have that we've had conversations over is the fact that like we don't think that nation states necessarily need to be 100% literate because not only does being literate subject you to social conditioning in a much like uh, like more uh, like aggressive and efficient fashion but also because you don't need to be like I said or like you said smart to live a good life you just have to have faith. You don't, you don't, I, I have more respect for the person who believes in God because of their own experience and tradition and like how they were brought up and they can't explain it. And they're not necessarily like boisterous or like aggressive about it. But if you were to ask them, they would tell you honestly and still believe it in like in the face of dissuasion or ridicule or, like, shaming, 
I have more respect for the person who can achieve that and like has that faith, even though they can't really explain it, but they know that it's true. Yeah, I think it's then someone then someone who who doesn't really like like really walk the path of God, but they can explain ten different ways to Sunday why they believe that God is true. Definitely, it's because it's like yeah to go back on the I guess the literary or being literate aspect. It seems to me that literacy for the sake of being literate is actually really stupid. Because all you're doing then is if everyone could just consume more information for the sake of consuming more information, that doesn't necessarily mean and actually probably means the opposite of them actually consuming information that's conducive to their well-being they just can consume more so literacy in a like scholaristic community or cultural aspect of being able to like know your people's tongue your community's tongue your religious tongue and knowing the texts and the background and the like lineage and where your like progenitors came from that is an absolute like righteous path to pursue but just like oh i need to learn how to vaguely read this language but i don't know who's going to be introducing to me new stimuli that can affect me yeah influence my behavior over time bottom bottom line is is that like humans are like limited beings we have to choose what we learn about Um, 100 and would you rather learn about you know, like, if you're illiterate, would you rather learn about the, the ten different ways that you're a Labrador retriever on a Facebook quiz? Or would you rather <laughs> learn about, or, or literally learn about, like, like, the exact traditions that make your house, like, a personal, like, Staple like within staple your community. community. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, would you like? Would you rather learn about like some frivolous shit like that, or it's like, no, on this day we do this, and I learned that from my mom, who learned that, or like, or dad, or learned that from their ancestors, and like, it, it tracks down to my lineage. There's obviously like an order order of importance with information, mm-hmm. and like, like, uh, like we're saying, when you have literacy absent of that tradition or of that, like, of those personal boundaries or community boundaries or religious boundaries, then it just becomes, you're just spinning your wheels. You're just learning about things that literally mean nothing, which is basically what doom scrolling like is. It's just like you just busying yourself learning random factoids that mean absolutely fucking nothing yeah. to your like 100%. direct yeah, it's, experience. It's one of the things where I've thought about, um, at least the way I've trained my brain over the past few years is when I engage with social media is that it's when I, but also just the fact that I'm like really low in agreeability is that it's when I consume information, my brain naturally has like a response towards it where it's like, like dislike, but even within like, it's like, okay, what is this? Is there something else that I could connect this to in regards to like it meaning and then it being purposeful in a, like an abstract way, but I, I guess also a lot of people don't necessarily see that. But back to your point in regards to like sure. learning about your tradition and um, like the people who you're around. The funniest thing 
that I see that in is that it's most people, the closest way, like in regards to modernity, that they could connect to their like either ancestors, their grandparents, or the people that they know is what? Through food and or like a family recipe that's been passed down. Which is a very interesting like thing to, yeah, to think about. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I think that like I would I would argue that this observation that you're making is mostly descriptive of like a modern age. Yeah. Which is yeah, already, I, I, already, I prefix already, that with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, which is already like weakened yeah. in terms of its like approachability and like uh, like connectivity towards like the past and like what are the primary things that connect you to it. But I do think that it's interesting, uh, like your observations as far as cuisine goes. I mean, like recipes and foods are obviously staples, and they uh, like play a large part in our lives. Um, yeah, but in no, a very in a very different way than um, thought or like veneration or like communion or like or like getting like getting together with people. Food is something that is like touches on a lot of different senses, and then for that reason, I feel like it's also kind of like a mainstay, even in this weakened state, uh, like moral state that we find ourselves in, that people will cling to and identify with, like with their past, is like. The way that they felt when they like smelled or tasted this thing and like did it on like on tradition or like annually um, and how that made them feel and like how they connect with that uh, in terms of their like we said like their lim- like uh, their lineage and their like progenitors who also uh, seem like uh, ate the same thing right yeah but it also I th- I think it's in the modern sense now it has been divorced from connecting within a community but that's where it's because i've been in a lot of different situations and like you have um different clubs or student organizations or even like social clubs where it's like oh we're gonna get together but it's like a potluck so then they're like oh like what like you know you made you make a spreadsheet and it's like oh what dish are you going to bring right so then there is the aspect of like within this like not necessarily degenerate state, but kind of, or just like less, um, like less core to yourself, but also is important in regards to your social interactions that like what you could bring to food within a like larger, larger, um, social interaction and group activity is also important, but that's also like how it used to, connect within your community as well because it's yeah of course like if everything's a hundred percent ideal then yeah you have like for lack of a better term like almost a communal kitchen or like everyone's going to go to one house and then you're going to have a bunch of people in the kitchen who it's like oh you're making this dish you're making that dish and yeah, then you have someone in we've been eating this for like ten thousand years yeah. exactly so then you're making let's say like 10 different dishes or you're making these different courses and then that's what it's um like aimed towards or you have you could have a communal space where it's like, oh, we're going to have this celebration. We're going to have this uh, remembrance that like everyone in this town or this community is going to meet for. But like you have certain foods that you're assigned to bring. What do you think about uh, the idea like like branching off of like foods and like so far as how they relate to certain cultures and how they 
perpetuate them. Um, do you think that, like, certain people groups are made, like, stronger or, like, weaker by adhering to their traditional or, like, ancestral diet? Um, I would say definitely, um, I would say stronger in the sense of being more, like, in tuned with, like, where you're supposed to be. Because it is one of the things... Yeah, but I'm talking about, like, more, like, in, like, like a, like, materialist, like, terms. Like, you, you are a healthier body. Yeah, no, because... I, d- I definitely, oh, yeah, that, that as well, because, um, it's one of the things that I've, uh, I've reflected on, and, um, I think I've told you about this, where it's, I've met, where it's, because... I've had the, for lack of a better term, privilege of working out with, like, like some really, like, supreme athletes. And in my mind, Elijah's, like, one of those people. And also one of the things that he does is he, like, pers- it, like he does personal training with a lot of people. Sure. Like, we used to make a joke about Elijah just because it was, like, he was always just more, like, stocky and built. That it's, like... Is this man taking like steroids in his Cheerios yeah, type yeah, thing? Yeah. But it was just like when we were seventeen, he was just more built. He was a running back and was a beast in that regard. But sure. also like since then, he's still also just been able to maintain that. But as he's trained people, and then I also talked with another like friend of a friend who is also a personal trainer. What I realized is that it's the biggest part about being not even fit, but um, like not being fat or obese is the personal relationship that you have with food because food is emotional. And especially in today's age where food is so accessible, especially like sugars are Mm -hmm. so accessible and they make you feel good in the short term that it's, if you're going through something emotional, you could, you could, you can continually feed yourself that thing on a like, few minutes to 15 minutes to half hour to hourly basis in order to like keep that feeling going sure but it doesn't actually like help you but it so then it's it turns yeah. yeah so it turns into like a coping mechanism sure. so what i like so the reason i brought this up is one of the biggest things within like personal training and helping people to stay fit that i've noticed from talking to my friends and then even like um like for lack of a better term the fat and obese people that i've known is that it's it winds up being an emotional comfort that they use food when they feel discomforted, and there is yeah, a yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's something that's used outside of like just sustenance. It is a like like a mood enhancer, like or it is a like it's employed in that way, right? Like where they use it to make them like feel good about themselves. For yeah. Whatever reason well, it's also it's I think it's biologically and through history like few food has been in um like short supply so that's one of the things where it's uh funny because like my dad he's um he's gone keto because he like of health issues so he's cut out like a lot of carbs but the thing is that it's historically speaking it was like you didn't have sugars for about half of the year right it's like you you may you you maybe had a little sugars ever well most of time well like apart from like honey or like sweet fruits, like okay, but say, so let's say even like, like in processed. the last like five or six thousand years, in like in regards to agriculture, where it was like you like there were certain societies that maybe they learned how to like you know dry fruit, and so that that it was like 
it could last longer. But for the most part, it's like you only really had berries like as you could pick them or when they would grow. But then they're more likely to spoil. Yeah, but that's but, different. That's different than something like uh, like cane sugar, like literally yeah. growing sugar. That, and, that, and that's my point. Or like, and I think. Then I guess it meant more in regards to carbs. Then yeah, yes. like that you're trying to explain too is where it's like, uh, like a lot of the reason that we have like this uh, massive like epidemic of obesity isn't necessarily because people like sweet things. It's because that people now in the modern age have a, like, have too much access to sweet things. Whereas before, what, like you're saying, oh, it would be like whatever you could pick around you or like whatever was like, uh, like accessible locally. You didn't have the idea of like fucking like Entenmann's like cakes or you know, soda machines or shit like that. Yeah, well, it's also, it's even, like, if you go back more than, like, 200 years ago, because of the way that they, um, or their lack of refinement of, like, grains, like, their bread was definitely a lot more, like, hearty than it was. Like, uh, our bread now, they would think of as being, like, a dessert. Yeah, like, that's, that's, yeah, Europeans today literally classify a lot of, like, Subway, like, the bread used in Subway as, um, as a dessert, or yeah, as even a whole wheat, yeah, even yeah, whole wheat bread. it contains so much sugar in it. Yeah, and um, no, I mean like uh, at least within that realm of conversation of the question I initially posed, which was, you know, do you believe that people adhering to an ancestral diet uh, like would be healthier? Um, generally, I think so. Like, like, I think I think a lot of that. I think a lot of that has like a big overlap just within like modern foods. It's not necessarily like unique or descriptive, like to different people groups. Like whether, like, if someone who's like, uh, like, let's say they're, uh, you know, from like some Middle Eastern culture and they eat primarily like lavash bread or like naan, mm-hmm. and then you know, but then they also isn't naan more Indian? I would, I would say more like are you naan is more, more yeah, like, like yeah like I guess but then maybe, like pita uh, yeah pita bread yeah pita bread is a, is a, is a better example not okay. like. Lavash bread or like pita bread, mm-hmm. like oh, does it exist within like, uh, like to them like an alien culture? Like, sure it does. However, like, that's not really like what we're talking about, you know. Yeah. And, like, that's not that big of a difference than the difference between like lavash bread and then eating fucking like Wonder Bread, like or or some modern day wheat that is uh, like lo- like heavily processed and treated. Yeah. Like so, so for me, the the biggest instance I think of this is in regards to um, is actually in regards to like the Chinese and even like sure. uh, what's it called, like the Japanese, where it's uh, I met this girl um, when I was in school. She was doing her PhD in uh, like nutrition, mm-hmm. and what she was studying was um, like it's funny. I I used to say this like stupid line where I was like stomach gut, but what I meant was like st- like stomach bacteria. Yeah, because sure. like what she was, uh, or she's still studying actually. Yeah, your microbiome. Is, yeah, your microbiome in regards to how your like physiology, like digests different foods, but also like turns those into different things. And the reason I brought up like specifically, I guess, more Eastern Asians is that they have just from the situation they've been in and the. Uh, like the climate, 
and the food situation. They've eaten rice for thousands of years. Sure. So it means that they can eat rice and still be skinny. Versus, like, if you look at, like, Africans or, like, white people or Caucasians, it's literally, like, if they eat even, like, half as much rice as an Asian does, like, they're going to bloat. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, so same, it's, it's, like, the, same, it's the same idea as, as, the, uh, as the fact that, like, a lot of Asians have, uh, like, literal, uh, like, immune reactions towards alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, that's primarily like yeah. Europe. They start it's, turning it's, colors. <laughs> yeah, same same thing with yeah, same thing with uh, Native Americans. Yeah. Um, another example is uh, uh, being like lactose tolerant. Yeah. Some cultures literally just developed uh, the like the ability to digest certain dairy products because yeah. over the course of evolution and history, they just ate that more than other people. And so, you know, if you were to take those ideas, I guess, like, if we were talking to, like, uh, like someone who's more, like, skeptical of this idea, like, those are the examples that you would bring up to support the idea that, like, okay, well, if we can go this far, if we can scientifically agree with the fact that there are people who are, like, better adapted for certain types of diets and mm-hmm. cuisines just as a matter of history, yeah. then it's not that too far of a leap to say that, oh, well, maybe this also... Uh, like is relevant to biological processes or diets that we don't know about yet, or that, like that we haven't discovered or that we haven't measured. I don't know. What you, I don't know what you mean by that when you say like what, biological what, what processes saying, we haven't discovered yet. What, what, no, what well, like, no, no. But what I what I mean by that is that like if, like I said, we take into like into account that something like alcoholism with like certain other races doesn't digest mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. Something like cheese as well. Yeah. Certain grains, like you mentioned with rice. Yeah. Who is to say that, like, within the incoming future, we also won't find a certain, like, compound or nutrient that also is, like, disagreeable to certain people and causes X amount of ailments or, like, higher proclivity toward Oh, okay. So, so, yeah. So, so like, you're talking like, more in the abstract of, exactly. like, there could like, be something that we, just if, by a certain... By a certain people and whatever you come from, if you eat this, like yeah, it's gonna make you sick. Yeah, or no, it's gonna make, or it's gonna give you cancer, or it's gonna yeah, give yeah, you sure. these There's, adverse there effects. There might be like varying degrees of like severity, where it's like obviously like with the with the alcohol example, of, like East Asians, like when you're like, oh yeah, they turn colors. It's like yeah, that's their body literally in real time being like, get this the fuck out of me. Yeah. Or like it could even be something that uh, is as like benign as oh, you can't digest this within a sufficient amount of time, henceforth, you are more lethargic and fatigued. Yeah, it like gives you diarrhea. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes, yeah. And so, and like, if, if that's the case, then it's like, okay, well then, to me, it, it would seem as though, uh, maybe it might not be like a heritage diet or like an ancestral diet. There is some, something to be said for like, oh, it might just be an anti-modern diet. Mm-hmm. Because processed sugars and like seed oils like don't agree with anyone yeah like like no one can like live healthily like consuming those in large degrees yeah especially yeah when you talk about seed oils it's just the the inflammation aspect of of it's just like yeah everything is just is is swollen but i think it's also um because like while we're going down this food line i do think that it's interesting that it's it's probably something that's hard to gauge in regards to um like 
adverse reactions because I do think that within eating certain types of foods, of course, there are going to be ones that you have like an immediate like visceral reaction that it either like, you know, gives you food poisoning, upsets your stomach and things like that. But then it seems also that because we live in such a multicultural world where it's like if you live in a city that's more than like 25 to like 50,000 people, like there's usually like several different types of cuisine that are like offered like at a restaurant style of things. Of course. But also it does also appear that the popular cuisines in these multicultural areas are also ones that are less likely to make a non like native to that specific region Hmm. sick right because it's not because it's yeah if you go to like a specific country and you try every food they have there yeah it's likely because you're not used to that type of food that like something there is not going to necessarily make you feel right but yeah. like, but the popular ones that we are introduced to are already like okay, like it's usually going to be something that's like hot food, and then served in a very particular way so that it could reach sure. the most amount of people within this certain time. So you're then kind of, you're, you're kind of like you're on the right track, I feel like. But like at least within terms of uh, diversity or like mold, like the sheer range of foods within the modern world, it the biggest impact that it has isn't necessarily something that is immediately, uh, or, like, even, uh, like, within a short range of time, disagreeable to you. Uh, what studies show, like, with a vast variety of food, um, is primarily that you just eat more. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest issue with having a, 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 a wide variety and a vast, like, multicultural kind of uh, like in like growing up in that type of environment is that since you have so much variety, you l- will literally hunger and like desire more food because it's you know different stimuli. You know it's interesting. You know for for many different reasons. Yeah. But yeah. that would be that would be something like oh yeah like the reason why people in developing nations are more skinny or uh, ones that don't necessarily like interface with the third world or the, the first world like uh, the U.S. and like Western Europe does. It's just because since they're only eating a very, like, finite amount of, or type of food mm-hmm. over their entire life, they're just, like, they just get bored of it. Yeah, their appetite for it is yeah. Yeah, suppressed. Yeah, like, I think... I'll, I'll, eat this, I'll, I'll eat this for sustenance, and, like, yeah, I, like, I might like it, like, certain dishes, but it's not like I'm sitting bored and I'm like, oh, what if I could eat that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. It's, it's actually one of the things I've, um, I've struggled with over the past few years as... Yeah, now I'm just, whoa. <laughs> but um, like what I'd say more so it's now I'm trying to eat like cook my own food more. Sure. Where is it? There is the aspect of when you're eating out more, you definitely like know like oh, okay like I have these five or ten different places I like to eat and they're like completely different like degree and range of food types. So it's always, it's a lot easier to pick from those. But then when you have to cook for yourself, but then you realize, oh, you only like to cook certain things. Of course, you can learn new cuisines, but then that's also like a time, a time trade-off. But it's, yeah, like 
when you're cooking for yourself very often, you realize that it's like, yeah, this food still tastes good. And especially like if you get into like the meal prepping aspect, it does like limit, limit your range, but you are like less romanticized or like enchanted by that food so that it's like you'll eat in a like better proportion or more healthy proportion of that amount of food because you're more used to it and it's not like this new exotic like oh my god this is yeah, completely it's just, different it's just, it's just one less kind of like uh like distraction or like sin to like fall into like gluttony right yeah. where it's like yeah you know what's in the box but yeah it wasn't the fucking <laughs> box like like even the like you know they, they, they talk they were talking about it or, or it's been written about you know uh with a lot of like ancient roman uh like historians that uh, uh, describe the behaviors and tendencies of a lot of the like noble or like aristocrat aristocratic class in Rome. You know how they would have orgies, um, but like alongside these orgies, they would have foods like exotic foods, exotic foods brought in from like all over the world. You know, obviously in the ancient world, like being able to get something like ice is like a luxury, right? And they would literally eat as much of it as they could, and then ice and. Then, well, not ice, but, like, just, like, all the food, like, they could. Yeah. And then they would eat of it as much as, as they could and then throw up so that they could, like, they would purge so they so could eat more. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it's, like, a, it's it's a very, um, like, seemingly kind of a beneficial aspect on the face of it. The idea, like, oh, yeah, like, people can try all these different types of foods. Mm-hmm. However, how it works out in, in the real world is it's just kind of like an instrument of more uh like malbehavior yeah you know in, in its worst forms and you see that with america completely i mean like america is like one of the most like literally ob- obese fucking nations in the entire fucking world and when people are like oh well why don't you want these immigrants to come here don't you want these types of foods it's like no we have the recipes we're good but also, do we even really fucking need them? Yeah. Like, if anything, it seems to me like that. It, it, it's a meme argument. It's not like a like a genuine one that you would talk about in terms of like, yeah, like policy. Or yeah. Like oh, well, I or mean, like, for me, for me, the, the like, I guess it's if you're trying to to shift into the the immigration aspect, is it's I think there's a large difference between, um, like ref or people who are running away from persecution versus people who are seeking economic opportunity so that's like one thing but then the other aspect too is like legal versus illegal immigration so it's i think almost any country needs to be able to define who its people group is like in the us versus them and there needs to be like a limiting factor on that and then it's if everyone is American, then no one is. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, just, yeah, yeah. Fundamentally. Like, yeah. Are you are you American or are you an Earthian? Yeah. There, there, like, there, there, like... <laughs> there has to be some exclusivity and some restriction, like blatantly, just to uh, validate the existence of Americans. Well, it's also a, just to, to you know? just to be anything. You have to um, you have to sacrifice other things in order to be that. It's one of the like things. I said, like it's, it, it's exclusivity. Like, it's things like property rights. Like, if you have your land, if you have your space, that necessitates telling everyone else to fuck off. Yeah. And 
Americans and a lot of like uh, you don't have to quite whether, say whether fuck off. It's just like no, you can't well, come in my house. No, sure, like, yeah. sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be that abrasive. You're right, yeah. but like the majority of like neocons and liberals, like for some reason, have a uh, like like feral problem like with that idea, even though on the face of it they really shouldn't, because they do agree with the idea of like freedom of association. Like I could be friends or like interact with whoever I want. Uh, they like obviously agree with the idea of property rights because they're like, well, no, this is mine. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to anyone else but me. It's private. Mm-hmm. However, when it comes to the border and when it comes to immigration, for some reason, all of those things that should be logical extensions, extensions like first principles that justify the correct opinion in the broader sense and the uh, policy or like political sense, they completely forget and it goes out the window. And they think that immigration is just this golden calf that is the arbiter uh, for like morality. And if you agree with it, you're a moral person. And if you disagree with it, you're an immoral person, but it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, it's a lot more complicated. Well, that's where it's, um, it's interesting specifically, like if like talking about, um, like U S immigration policy, where is it? So there are like, for lack of a better term, like global agreements in regards to like accepting refugees. But one of the things that, um, that winds up being like, very controversial is that it's so in like the definition for refugee it basically describes that in order for you to be a refugee it means that you are being persecuted for and then it like it defines like three or four different things like usually like race criteria, yeah, yeah criteria of like race religion and then like one or two other things that i can't remember off the top of my head that um that like if you were to go back or be in your country once you left that yeah, they would, next. yeah, that you would get like imprisoned or like killed sure. just by being a member sure. of that group. Yeah. So the other thing too is that it's if you're in a safe place, that doesn't give you a right to go somewhere else, and that's where you get this term of sure. that where it's even funny talking to the people who are like more like open borders minded. Where they've realized that there is this term of destination countries. Yes. Right? Because it's like, oh, like, because, yeah, there are a lot of places where it's, they are, for lack of a better term, closed-minded. And if you are not part of a very specific people group, then it's just like, fuck out of here. We're going to hurt you. We're going to kill you. Get lost. But it's like, okay, so you have people who leave that situation, but then they go somewhere that's basically, like, amicable and friendly to them, but they also have in their mind like, oh, but there is a better place. Of course. So yeah. that's where it's like so the, best, pers- the best example of, uh, that you're describing, like the best uh, recent history and the real world example, um, in its parallel to what you're describing, is literally the uh, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Um, when the Russians invaded Afghanistan, there was a mass exodus of Afghanis, obviously. Uh, because they were being literally run over by fucking tanks and, uh, like, fucking swept away by helicopter raids. That Soviets were very brutal. However, with that mass exodus of Afghanis, who were obviously meet the criteria of, uh, like, refugees, um, where did they go? They went to, um... It was about, I think, like, three to five million um, of them fled. And they literally went to 
Pakistan, India, Iran, Iraq, um, some places in the Levant. When they fled, they went to countries that were more identifiable and agreeable to their natural disposition. Yeah. Uh, insofar as like how it relates to like their custom, like their religion, all these things. And the money that was spent on relocating them was in the billions of dollars. By who? Uh, primarily like the UN. Yeah. Like they would, they would help these like these like uh, mass exodus or like migration movements. However, what you have today in that uh, like in its culinary, like I was describing, is that in the Middle East now you have people fleeing these type, same types of countries, but they're not going to like their immediate surrounding countries or countries that are more agreeable to them in a custom or social sense. They're going to you know Europe or America, which are largely very adversarial and, and, and antagonistic to their whole ethnic identity. And I don't think that people, uh, like, I don't think they should have to, if, if these people are really fleeing war-torn countries and they have absolutely no chance of prosperity or survival unless they leave, I don't think they should have to give up their, like, tradition and their custom. I would rather that they preserve that and live in a place that's proximally a lot closer and that are able to sustain, which they can't really do in, uh, like in places like the first world, like in, in Europe and, uh, in America, like Europe and America fundamentally are places that are more antagonistic yeah. to Islam. Yeah. Like they are. And for good reason. I can say as as a, as a as a you know as a Christian um, in America, that doesn't mean that I think that like all like Muslims should be wiped out, but it it does mean that someone's gonna have like something's gonna have to give, and I would rather it be neither of these two parties that are implicated in this situation. Yeah. So yeah, you'd that, rather so them go be, somewhere that's more uh, friendly to them. Exactly. That so, really, like, so yeah, so like so ex- that's exactly why that's the perfect example of. Uh, of Soviet intrusion, uh, like or intervention into Afghanistan, and the mass exodus of people that resulted from that. That example is what should be happening in the modern day, especially with the like within the Levant, within you know the Arab Spring, uh, within like the mid 2010s yeah. with ISIS. Like a lot of these people uh, shouldn't be going to these uh, like the nations which they now reside in. They should be going to nations that can uh, more like acclimate them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's more admissible. It's more uh, like there's more assimilation, or a, or there's more of a uh, propensity for assimilation rather than like what we have now. Yeah, it's one of the things. Um, it was interesting uh, in this class that I'm in. Like what we were t- like, what I wound up learning is that it's. It's so crazy because, like, what happens within the United States and then even, like, within Europe is that it's... Because the United States is, like, signed to, like, certain treaties and um, also has, like, certain, like, laws within the country is that it's... If, like... um, Coast Guard. If the Coast Guard comes across people in, in a certain area 
then they could basically tell the boat to go back. But if it's in a, if, but if in other areas, then it's basically like it makes it more questionable on whether or not they could turn away these people. Sure. And then they like, bring them in. yes, but like, so that's like at least within America, but like within, um, within Europe, because they're so like strict about these type of things, what they wind up doing is it's, if they find, let's say they're like, there's a boat of like 50 like Haitians, for for example, oh, yeah. or it's not Haitian. Haitians, okay, but, yeah, sure, like Libyans. Okay, or, yeah, Libyans. Okay, let's Egyptians say there's a boat. Or yes, or let's say there's there's a boat of like fifty Libyans. Sure. Like, if they don't want them to come ashore, what then they wind up doing is saying like, oh, we will subsidize you going somewhere else instead. Sure. So then it winds up being because of these, and that's why I think these like international agreements are like not at at the actual. Um, benefit of a particular country which is why i like i despise the aspect of globalism because it makes it seem that because it's like in the sense that globalism is like admirable is you would assume that because we're all human therefore we all have like similar like admirations as to how the world would exist but the aspect is is that even though there is an objective truth we don't all see that truth in leading towards the same place. Sure. But then that also means that certain countries are going to have to like pay a higher price towards being like like what I said before, destination countries. So it means yeah, yeah. so like because they have this like, oh yeah, no one I don't think anyone's running away from where they are and they want to go to Libya. Like type of thing. Right? It's like but yeah. but there are pla- like it's just like but there are probably millions or even like hundreds of millions of people who are just like, yeah, they'd love to come to the United States if they had the option. They'd love to go to the Western Europe, whether it's because of the social programs, whether it's because of the economic programs, whether it's because yeah, of like, I mean, like the like more the, religious like liberties like, of that. But once, sure. but once these countries now, because they're plugged into the global mindset of that, are paying the cost because what is it? There's like a hundred and some nations in there, but there's only like 20 Western nations. But like, there are more people who want to go to Western nations than they want to go to other nations. Yeah, it means that it's, a... if they agree to these things, then it's inherently not going to be always in the interest of the people group that actually lives there. So then well, they not, want. Not, not only that, but like specifically, you're also draining that uh, country. Of like that that you would be describing, yeah. of emigration, you are depriving them of a chance to rebuild. Yeah, well, because okay. all of their people now are leaving. Hundred percent. So it's yeah. like so you know like you're not really fixing the problem when you allow a blank check of any amount of people to flee and have uh, be like granted the status of you know asylum. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree know? with that. It's yes. one of the things where it's. Because they've done and studies, you, 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 like, like, in, on a side note, you could talk about, and I think that there is some like, uh, like validity to the idea that, like, oh well, you know, these nations that they would formally be dwelling within that they, they would try to fix are under the thumb of, you know, he, like hegemonic powers in America and Western Europe, and I, I would agree with that. Like, I do think that, like, America, like, 
puts his thumb on a lot of different countries in a lot of different ways. However, I don't think that that is that justifies all these people uh, fleeing on Moss their country. Yeah, I mean, that they should fix. So, in regards to the economic aspect, is it's one of the things that I think goes under the radar is anyone who is able to um, like migrate and immigrate somewhere else basically is already, for lack of a better term, like privileged more than most people Someone that are there. Sure. Yes, because it takes resources. Like, you have to be able to pay. It's not like a, you're not paying like a bus. You're not paying like a cab fare. You're paying like cross-continental like fees to get somewhere, which means you had to have enough to save to do that. And then usually also, even if you're not leaving with everything you had, you're leaving with at least some of your resources, but then also the the like the um, the personal capital that you have built up there. And it's one of the things that where I was saying or I was trying to say in regards to um, like studies that they've shown in regards to like economic aid towards areas where there is, and this is one of the things that I um, that I believe that that it's. There are the term kindness has been kind of co-opted in the sense that it's people think now in the sense of kindness and purely just being like like friendly to someone tolerant yeah tolerant also but it's also just being friendly and like like just purely like nice but like yeah and agreeable but what people don't realize is that it's it's also enabling like bad behaviors and specifically what i mean by that is that it's like they've shown that let's say there's an area that's going through famine or they're going through um like uh food shortages or they're going through some natural catastrophe natural catastrophe sure so there is the aspect in which you do want to help like as a like lack better term more blessed or more economically endowed nation you do want to provide resources for that area Sure. But why, but what also winds up happening is if you are providing food and you're providing all of these like quote unquote free things that these current people don't have to pay for mm-hmm. is then you are completely destroying the local market. Yeah, of right? course. So it's like if so if you all of a sudden like let's say there's an area that's going through a food shortage. If you all of a sudden like oh, okay we are this nonprofit that's going to send three million dollars worth of food there right and you're able to feed like. 100,000 people for like a week, right? What also that does is, so let's say all the local farmers, all of a sudden their produce and the things that they've been working on for this entire season and this entire year, all of a sudden is worth a tenth as much or whatever percentage as much. And the same thing in regards to like clothing industry. So like you have people who want to donate like, oh, I have these like extra clothes but i want to send it to this to this country it's just like oh so you mean now the person who is the weaver in their town why would anyone want to spend the two dollar the whatever amount of money on this shirt when they could get this free thing from somewhere else what you're literally describing is africa um and like africa is a nation that is or nation continent that is sub-saharan africa specifically that is obviously like impoverished and destitute and you know what's not making it any better? Uh, the fact that people or uh, like other first world nations send 
an almost incomprehensible amount of aid to these countries. And I think uh, even though that's like the right impulse to have, mm-hmm. that you want to quote unquote help people, yeah. um, when you actually look in the weeds of it and you look insofar as how it plays out logistically, is a lot of this... Uh, it's disabling. Mon- monetary benefit. Not, not only is it disabling, but in the ways that it's disabling. Not only does a lot of this monetary benefit really only end up in the hands of certain controllers. Yeah, select few. Um, but also, it does not incentivize or encourage the people to create their own, uh, like like you said, like independent means of sustaining themselves. They become these clients yeah. of their not only their government, but their government becomes a client yeah. of another nation. Yeah, which is because like it's the way you, it's like, the way it's like. It literally, it, it destroys any sort of personal autonomy or, like, perseverance that should rise to the top and then transform their nation. Now all they're looking for are, essentially, these handouts. Yeah. And... So the people in power or the people who are elected are the people who have some sort of connection with being able to get these outside resources to this location. Well, of as, course they As are, opposed yeah. to someone who could actually build it from the ground up but the reason the person can't build it from the ground up is because you have also these government agencies that are basically trying to handicap you because they receive way more than you could ever get from the local like population sure, support. Sure, yeah. So you have to, to you have to sim, you have to sim towards like certain like uh, like entities or like or like agencies. Yeah. Ironically, like the the best way I feel like to if you really want to help these destitute nations. Um, or you feel an obligation to, which kind of like teeters on the idea of like uh, the white man's burden, or like not not even like only specific to like white people, but to any people if they feel that compulsion, right? Where it's like, oh, I feel it's my obligation to help these lesser people like benefit in like progress. Ironically, the the best way to do that I don't think uh, is in any sort of strictly financial or like materialist terms but the best way to actually be able to do that is if you have some sort of moral imperative which is what the church is essentially trying to do like if you are like a Christian you have a revolutionary religion where you believe that everyone can be converted and you want to directly help all of these quote unquote lesser people, then you would take directly, res- like you would take direct responsibility for it in traveling there yourself, building a church, teaching them your morals, and then seeing how that plays out. Obviously, as opposed to just signing fucking basically blank checks for who, who really fucking knows who gets it in this corrupt government. Well, I'd say it's you the know? modern sense of kindness. They would put it as a moral imperative, but where yeah, I but definitely, it's, would... but it's shallow. It's a shallow. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why I say it's in the modern sense of like, that's the way kindness is seen where it's the, the long term sense of kindness is actually being more strict about like, we can help you with certain things, but you have to meet certain criteria and do certain things where that's where I see, um, like maybe sharing 
like technologies or sending like the idea of like sending like teachers or people who can help and that's that's where I guess there is the parallel with like something like the church where it's just like through a form of like that's where I, I, I am I'm hesitant it's in a, saying it's education. A personal, it's a personal yes. interaction. Yes, it's gotta be able, directly involved. Yes. It's not some sort of like pay five cents a fucking month to this, like, like, yeah, like, like, yeah. like, 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 like watching these infomercials or some shit for UNICEF where it's like, spend this amount of money and you can save all these sad people we're showing on the screen where it's like, yeah, like that's, that is good if that's actually what's entailed, which it never is. Yeah. But if you actually feel that compulsion, like that impulse to do it, then go there yourself. Mm-hmm. Like build some shit. Like people do that all the fucking time. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of a, I feel like it's a, modern uh it's a modern cop-out honestly it's a modern cop-out to like to believe that you're doing something that actually fucking matters without actually doing literally anything yeah well especially when you get when you get with these like ngos these like non-government organizations and these non-profits where they are their own bureaucracies sure so it's even if they put like I wouldn't say the people who go there as representatives of these organizations are inherently bad, but they're also like restricted by the rules of the organization. So they're not actually acting well, in not, their own volition. Not only, not only that, but they, they are like, because of, because of the fact that they're like materialistically or practically minded, they are or they have a larger propensity to be self-interested. And obviously all people are self-interested, mm-hmm. but this is like, we're talking about this in degrees. You know, if someone is going to Africa or going to some impoverished nation because they feel that they have to do good in the eyes of God, like it is a moral, like spiritual imperative, then they are more likely to, uh, like, denounce and revile the idea of siphoning money, like money off of these people or like taking this for your primary benefit. Yeah. Not to say that that doesn't happen. It does. But like, if you were to ask me to grade on a curve between some sort of mission or like church that goes to Africa and some sort of NGO, like you described and how, like how that would relate to levels of corruption within those certain missions or like institutions, I feel like the answer is pretty obvious. You know, it would probably be the NGOs that pocket more money or, uh, do not do the necessary research to dispense those resources to the needy peoples and just give them to, uh, even more like pernicious or self-interested parties within that nation itself and the administrative. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that, I hear that, that route, but for me, it's even if the, um, even if there is like an NGO where they are solely existing within like the body politic of a less like, um, like financially rich country and they're trying to give resources to me, I still see the larger issue of it, like destroying the natural marketplace that's there. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you with that. So yeah, so that I do does, think, I do think does. that that is also that is also part of it where you do have this like the corruption in these nations because they can receive 
millions or even billions of dollars in aid and then they are kind of like the conduit through which like these resources get distributed but then even the aspect of like that's one of the things where um like i think also like clothing industry for instance right sure. like because you have you have um you have places like similar to like salvation army and goodwill where it's like they'll get like almost like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of clothing and they have nothing to really do with it and then they'll just send it to wherever it is because they feel like these people can't clothe themselves but then it's like okay so then that means in this area or in this country a lot of the traditional wear and uh and garments are gone because it's oh are you about to spend 60 hours out of your week to do something that no one's really about to buy because they just got a bunch of free clothing. Sure. But then it also goes, I mean, yeah, but- no, 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 it's, it, no, you're, you're absolutely right. in in many different ways that it saps the efficiency and production of the nation that is the recipient of these like goods or these, um, donations, but better. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> yeah. Donations. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's obviously not like, directly obvious it is something that you have to actually like look into to realize like oh no this is made or presumably it's uh and like enforced or enacted within a good will but it doesn't actually create something that's yeah a benefit or a yeah. good to these well that's that's yeah and, that's that's why you know, it reminds me of the old the oldest line of it's like the the path to hell is writ is paved with good intentions where it's, it's not just about having good intentions, but it's also seeing, like, the long-term effects and the longevity of, the only, like, what these actions do. I, ironically, like, the only way that you would actually be able to literally improve... If, if, if it was your universal mission... Prerogative. To, like, your, your prerogative to uh, enhance the standard of living across all people in the world. Ironically, the best way to do it wouldn't be through some private means like an NGO or some like personal means through like a church, it would literally just be through colonization. <laughs> like, like it, it, like, and obviously that's with a disclaimer. If, if I were to say to benefit these nations and I were to mention colonization, it's not within the fucking like, example of, like it's not, yeah, it's not within the example of like the Belgian Congo where they're like chopping off people's hands and being like fucking nuts. Yeah. Or like Hispaniola, like when Cortez well, I mean, got even... here. But like, but specifically, like when you think about if you're trying to improve these people's situations and they're in, like, they're in an undeveloped part of the world, and you begin to colonize them and like directly move your people who have the expertise and have the specialization to create refineries, railways, telephone poles, like uh, factories, administrative buildings, like all of these things, then you are, like, directly improving their state, like... Yeah, but that's where it's... I do see the... the Even though I do think it is a cop-out in the way, like, call it, like the negative context in which colonization is, um, like, depicted in the modern realm, but I also do see the proper criticism of the fact that it is... It is also... It also winds up being a, like, form of, like, exploitation... In the in the sense of, of like you like it's not it's it not just done out of selfishness the, 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 it, the or nation. selflessness it's basically just done to like enrich almost your financial I, situation as well ideally via, the, the, like the thing is that like like 
Britain, for example, Great Britain, mm-hmm. had a net loss of money that they invested within India. The, like, yeah, was, yes, within India. Then, like, they reaped from it. Now, obviously, that like that that might be slightly misleading insofar as how it like totals into the exact expenditure or like the net profit that the country made in relation to all of its other colonies. However, the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at even modern pieces of real estate that are incredibly desirable and highly coveted uh, in the East that the British formerly uh, like had direct control over in their inception, like Shanghai, like Singapore, like um, Hong Kong, these are now major trading ports and like centers of globalized trade that the Chinese or whatever nation specifically belongs to it directly benefit from now, even though they didn't really invest or make create the infrastructure for it. Yeah, but that also took like like hundreds of years well, to or to develop. It took decades. Okay. It took okay, but it took it took a long time to develop and then sure. it also is the and why I can see why it does seem more um, predatory. Yeah, predatory, but also like why that like the NGO style does seem more like palpable and like more digestible is because it doesn't have the it doesn't have the front of like actually like having a business well, corporation have, like it doesn't have the incorporating brash, it doesn't yes. have the brashness yeah like and, that, and like that's like like I feel like the fundamental like difference between our modern day sensibilities and how we would ideally hope to help other people as opposed to something that was like a like existed 100 200 years ago was that if you take the gloves off mm-hmm. and you're just like I am better than these people and I need to help them it removes a lot of the restraints or niceties or etiquettes that seemingly come along with the idea of an NGO. Yeah. Right? We're like, yeah, the NGO might be doing just as much damage or, or, or even more so. However, at least if we have the NGO, like, we have plausible deniability that like that we're actually trying to, like, help these people. Not help these people, but, like, that we have to help these people on some sort of imperative. You know what I'm saying? Like... No, like, no, I think you... No, no, I think you uh, made a mini leap there. That No, like, like, like what I'm trying to say is, is that, like, the idea of an NGO or, like, uh, of just literally creating aid within a national expenditure to give to certain nations. Since you're just giving them money and you're not directly intervening within their progress or within their development, you have plausible deniability in terms of the fact that you are lording over them. Because you could just fall back to the argument that, like, well, no, we're just giving money. It's mm. how they spend it is how is their business. Yeah. However, like if you were to like I said, take the gloves off and just be like more upfront and like more or less blunt with your worldview, then you can spend that money better directly, but 
you don't have to apologize. Like, you don't have to, like, have this some sort of, like, guilt or shame in what you're doing because you have this, this like, domineering worldview. I don't, I don't think that, like, that, that worldview is necessarily right by any means, but it's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, right? well, that's where I was, like, when you are saying that, I was thinking that it, it does seem like those are, um, like, polar opposites. Yes. And I think that the, the most proper way is, like, probably closer to something in the middle, that I, though I'm not quite sure where that is, but that's where I do think there is a, um, like advancing and giving like or helping with like technology and education like the old the old the old example or parable is like you know like give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day and teach him how to fish and he'll like be able exactly so i think it's kind of with that and that's where um also i agree with you where there is this um like there is this like covert aspect of the ngo thing where um when it comes to like vaccines yeah, right, where it's just like it's okay. So we introduced this technology to try to help you, but it's oh, okay. Like yeah, in a sense, like they say they're being charitable because oh, in Western nations they'll charge a dollar for it, but in like in yeah. a, a less a, like a less fortunate the, uh, country they'll charge only like forty five cents for it. Yeah, but it's the, also like they're not actually giving the tech. They're still like there's there's. There's They're a, still selling me, it above the margin of production yeah, and me, making. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's one or the other, like to me. And like there are examples exactly like you described with vaccines, not specifically within vaccines. I mean, a really good example is uh, like just just medication. Mm-hmm. I mean, ivermectin, um, which is a is a no no word. Uh, early, early <laughs> used to be, yeah. Used to be, <laughs> used to be yeah. Like, 2020, like, 2021, yeah, yeah, it's just like, it's just like, uh, what is, like, what is that? What you said to D exactly, Warner? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, ivermectin was literally, uh, created and like through most of its, um, manufacturing and, uh, use was for third world nations that had, uh, very serious, uh, and widespread parasitic yeah. illnesses. And not only was it, like, incredibly cheap to make, and they distributed, like, they distributed it, um, without any sort of, or without, without, rather without any, uh, obvious or blatant, like, motive for profit, but they eradicated certain illnesses and, and improved the lifestyle and standard of living of a lot of the peoples that dwelled within those areas, right, to deal with, um, you know, river blindness, which was, I feel like the, I, I think the, uh, the chief, um, ailment that ivermectin was used for. Mm-hmm. Um, however, speaking about these, uh, like this middle ground that you're kind of proposing where it's like, Oh, well I don't want it to be necessarily, this is our colony and we have direct ownership of it. But also you don't agree with the idea of, you know, we want to give money because we want to feel good, but who the fuck knows where it goes? Yeah. I really don't think that there's a tenable middle ground. Um, That's fair. I think that you, like, either you have to, like I said, have this domineering or, like, imperial ideology if you want to, quote-unquote, help other nations... Not to only their benefit, but also to yours. And if you don't have that... Um, then it's just more destructive. The best thing is to do is just to leave them alone. 
Yeah. Like, like let them, let them do what they're going to do. And obviously that's not even an option in the modern world. Like that's, like that's the bad thing about globalism where, you know, even this is what I would object to the, even I, like even the idea of, uh, helping develop third world or like undeveloped nations is I don't necessarily agree with the idea that technology is a beneficial like entity. Like I don't think that humans exist uh, or, or lead happier lives because of technology in the net. Um, and since I don't necessarily agree with that, I don't think that spreading, uh, like this type of like infrastructure or like contributing to like a global, um, network should be a high priority, like imperative. Like I, I, I think that like Africans largely in sub-Saharan Africa, they exist the best in their tribal structure by being left alone and like, yeah, exactly. Which their tribal structure necessarily entails population groups that are between, you know, 200 to a thousand. And even though that's like sparse and like we in our culture might see that as primitive. I do think that that's like the best way that they interact and that they exist. And I don't think that it's, uh, necessary or even moral to like force upon them a new mode of living that they aren't ancestrally like related to yeah you know yeah and no it it does because it does yeah no i I do kind of agree in the sense that it's because even like so you do have the more like imperial or colonial aspect of it's like there is the you're trying to obviously benefit your nation and then there is the opposite end in which we were talking about the um, like the NGOs or these nonprofits that are trying to like supply um, like what they believe to be yeah, like resources bene- res- beneficial resources, and then they use various metrics by which to um, to justify that. Yes. But like, what's also like hilarious about that is that it also presupposes like even though it's not cognizant in their mind that by introducing something that you believe to be better you're also like unironically like showing your superiority yes. even though you're trying to be like no like i i want i want to i want to help i want to help these people so yes. it does so it's it, it yeah. almost seems like any any aspect of um, engagement or intervention is a like double-edged sword that yeah. it's like it's it's always it, going it tra- to it, it traces its roots or like its similarities to like the modern political landscape in America. Yeah, you know, like with with uh, this obsession of marginalized groups in America, um, you have a lot of these people who they feel the desire, they feel the need to. Uh, be allies or be friends to people who they perceive as being um, distraught or oppressed or marginalized. 
However, the implicit assumption from that standpoint is that you are someone who is so better off in your current existence that you feel an obligation to help these poor chillins. <laughs> and like, it's it, 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 like, it really, in its essence, is the exact same kind of like sentiment that is espoused within the idea of the white man's burden yeah. in colonization. Like, you feel it's not as obvious within uh, like modern day like politics or liberalism um, or like critical theory, but it's still there that you you quote unquote recognize that you are a privileged group and that you feel like it's your obligation to help all these poor dis like disenfranchised people and it is the highest level of arrogance i think that's like not admitted to yeah and no, so and so for no, that reason, it, it, i have i have more respect for the people who just say i'm superior and i need to help you rather than the people who are like oh well like i come from a better background or place and i need to help you but we're also all equal but also poor you but also i should have guilt for like who i am it's like it's like this like ridiculously like elaborate mental gymnastics you have to go through you know yeah yeah no that that reminds me of a uh a malcolm x quote that i'm trying to find where he basically like explains that like his issue with like the white liberal is that it's like they are they dress up their their like their feelings and like animosity and superiority uh like within this within this model exactly where it's just like and that's one of the things where I've gotten where I've uh I've irritated a lot of people where it's like, yeah, I'd rather be around someone who tells me exactly why they don't like, like, like why they don't they, like me. Yeah. yeah. They don't like, they course, don't like yeah. me or they don't like a specific group. I have more respect for that person. Yes. The person Even who's if it's going to lie to my face. Yes, exactly. Even if I don't agree so and I think that it's like, it's not the, or I could think that it's not the best, um, approach or route, uh, towards solving something, but at least they're, honest enough to just be like no i find this to be disgusting and therefore like no i don't like that yes. versus someone who's trying to like dress ingratiate, ingratiate in, themselves yes. with you yeah. and feel like they like they are a part of your quote unquote team and they have your exact same interests exactly on. yeah no exactly no, cuz it's cuz yeah. it winds up just being the like for lack of a better term like the snake in the garden like yes. or it's just like it's someone who's yeah. trying to act like they're your friends and and that's where it's part uh, of the no, reason there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like uh like famous like intellectual african americans who espouse that same exact like idea uh booker t washington mm -hmm. um marcus garvey uh web dubois um malcolm x obviously uh there's there's one other who i can't 
exactly assign a name to, but he was the first African-American senator that was elected in the United States. Mm-hmm. And he was elected in a southern state. Yeah, so this is, yeah, so this is and, like and late it, 19th it, century. Exactly, yeah. And, and like he directly addresses the fact that even though he's trying to ultimately help um, his people group, he explicitly states that they should be aware and cautious of people who will seek to gain influence off of the African-American resentment towards white people. And that's really what, like, liberal, like, at least today, uh, like, Republicans back in the day, but, like, liberals today, what they do is they, uh, they exploit certain feelings and sentiments Mm -hmm. that are true. However, they shouldn't be encouraged and spread because they are poisonous in the same sense that like, as uh, like it was a few years ago at this point, but like I went to a um, Easter mass in uh, my church a few years ago and it was an Armenian church and like they talked about specifically because uh, in East, like on Easter or like, or in April was kind of the beginning of the, the genocide or like, like the beginning of the pogroms. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about, or my pastor did specifically how like Armenians need to not hold malice in their hearts and not desire feelings of retribution because it's ultimately self-destructive. Yeah. And whatever is going to befall the Turks who, like, perpetuated the genocide, God is in charge of that. Yeah. We don't have to worry about it. And that is a much more healthy way of looking at this entire, uh, like, history. Yeah. Like, uh, and really, you know, um, violent and brutal history in America between, uh, like slaves and, um, you know, citizens, there does need to be a desire to move forward. There has to be, because unless you let that go, you're always going to be under the command and the control of the people who use that feeling for their own personal gain. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what it's called. It's what I think. So, what was it? It's probably gonna almost be like a decade now when, like, Kanye said that shit. Uh, where it was like, yeah, like. It's um, mental slavery. Yeah, it's mental slavery yeah. type shit. And that, like, pissed off a lot. If they didn't want to be slaves, like, then, like, they would have stopped being slaves. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's just, like, I mean, there's there's that in the, in the old, in the old context. But the way I see it more so, like, in the, in the present sense, where it's, like, and we've talked about this a little bit where it's it's one of the things where it's so funny when I uh when I talk to my dad cuz I cuz you know I'm like naturally like argumentative and I don't like to submit to things but my dad's right in the sense that it's everyone has a master you don't have to like it's yeah of course exactly like um slavery in like the brutal sense is terrible but you do have to be 
subservient and um, like submissive agreeable. and agreeable to certain sentiments. So the question sure. then is it's is this Who are you subservient to? Yes, who are you subservient to, but also is what you are subservient to the thing that is going to do you or like what you see for the future like the best the best result. Of course, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, like, and this is an interesting conversation insofar as how it relates to, like, being a slave and being a master. Um, specifically, like, within the Old Testament, there's a lot of rules yeah. and specific guidelines uh, insofar as how you should behave as a master and how you treat your slave. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that relates really... In any, in way, any way towards yeah. modern, like, American chattel slavery. In any, yeah, no. However, also, um, I do think that even in uh, Proverbs, uh, I think it's like Proverbs chapter 5, that they talk about, you know, he who owes money to someone, like, is their slave. There's a lot of different aspects in, like, abstractions towards being a slave and if we were to if we were to agree that being a debtor is like being a slave then literally everyone in the west is a fucking slave yeah well, at least you know? most people are yeah that's and, a, it's and, and like like that like that kind of turns it on on its head where it's like oh do you support slavery it's like oh well, what exactly do you define like, what do you mean as slavery? Yeah, how are we you defining know? this term? Because, yeah, because nowadays, especially with people who are in debt from anything from student loans to credit card debt to, uh, like, whatever it is, like, even, like, something like a car or a mortgage, in that sure. aspect, it's, like, you've submitted to having to do whatever it takes to basically pay that thing off. Exactly. And then now you are, like, caught in that, caught in that system so yeah so it's not in the same sense of like yeah you're not about to get like you're not about to get whipped you're not about to like be like literally maimed like physically but does that mean that you're not being like actively controlled actively controlled and actively being like stretched out beyond like where you're supposed to be because you've submitted to these like apparatuses of um like of things that you're trading for your future. Yes. So. Yeah, absolutely. And like that idea, I think of slavery, um, specifically how it relates to the, uh, like, ant- like conception within antiquity, within the Bible, within, uh, different cultures that surrounded that, uh, specific, like specific time frame mm-hmm. it was necessary in the sense that there are no social welfare programs if you're really down on your fucking luck and you have a family to feed yeah, you're not going to apply for fucking welfare because that doesn't exist your best shot at feeding your family and making sure they live on if you're, let's say, if you find yourself in dire straits or you're, you, you were stupid enough to, like, gamble a specific or, a, like, a lot of money away 
your only chance at like surviving wasn't is literally yeah it's literally just like going up to such and such person just being like I will be your servant if you like help pay off my debt yeah that, that, that's and, and interesting that's, and, that's, and that's like that like that's literally the reality under which a lot of those rules within the Old Testament were written mm-hmm. you know it's and even though it, it talks about in a lot of the sense um, specific outgroup um, enslavement uh, within the like between the Israelites it was like no you shouldn't enslave your own people that's not true no, there's there's definitely instances in which, like, with, even within your own people, but it was um, within the Jews. Yeah, I mean, there was really? what's it called? Yeah, because there's um, at least instances of like theft. Like, if you were caught stealing something and you had to pay it back, then you had to. But then there was also like indentured servitude of the idea that like like if you don't you didn't have any land and you need to feed your family but then like in the Wasn't sense also within like 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 within the Jewish tradition also like every 7 years yeah. people should be like forgiven of their debts and I, I would imagine that only extends to Jews like within each other so you can have like to to, to like buttress or like to bolster your point where it's like, yeah, you can't have Jews who are indentured super, like servants to other Jews. However, after a certain amount of time, like there is supposed to be some sort of renewal and like forgiveness that doesn't condemn them to a lifelong obligation of serving that same role. Yeah, but there's also the you, but also you could re up. You also could re-up on that, but then that's where, like, when we go back to, like, the idea of, um, like, even, like, American chattel slavery, where it's, like, there's nothing biblical about it, which is why it's, like, funny the people who are trying to, like, defend it, where it's, like, in any sense of, like, the way the Bible talks about slavery is, um, like, if you damage your slave, they are free, right? Like, it does, like even if it's they're part of your people or not, it's just, like, no, you're not, like... You're not supposed to mistreat. But anyways, I mean, like, to move beyond that, but, like, one of the things also I was thinking about is that it's, like, there's more slavery, like, there's more people who are slaves today than there was 200 years ago. Yeah, I mean, ironically, like, it's kind of, that idea is, like, a complete vindication of the whole Kanye spurred out, like, six years ago when he was saying, like, our people are still enslaved, and if they didn't want to be enslaved during, like, the time before the American Civil War, then they wouldn't have to be, where it's, like, a mental, um... Well, I wasn't even, I wasn't even saying the mental well, aspect, I was saying, well, like, literally physical, well, like, not, in certain countries, like, there are still, like, there are more people who are actually, yeah, but, like... but, but, but specifically within our country, yeah. like, there is a permissible incredibly dubious like and very accessible route to slavery um primarily just through being a debtor yeah you know and that idea is something that's a lot uh like it's not completely it's not properly I think reviled in our social discourse 
um, people should see like borrowing money at very bad interest rates mm-hmm. as like a death sentence. They should like they literally <laughs> yeah, should yeah. see it as that, but they don't because. You know, because it's become the, it's a norm. Yeah, that's just the cost of doing business. Yeah. Oh, that's just what you have to do. You know, and in some ways, I do like the American. Like it does have some benefits, chiefly in the realm of property. Um, like mortgages. The, yeah, the idea of mortgages um, and how they are um, manifested. And the fact that you can get like a 30 year fixed mortgage is amazing. It's, it's like, it's a total net benefit. Yeah. But it's very, it's it's very, let me finish. It's, it's, it's like very useful in actually like cultivating and helping the citizens of your nation. However, in all of its negative aspects, um, Exactly, like, the 2008, like, housing crisis that, like, exploited that, uh, like, proper and, like, useful tool. It's bad. Yeah, the 2008 uh, crisis has a lot of other aspects that go into that. It does, with, yeah. uh, like, banks being forced to give mortgages that they didn't want to. But I would say it's one of the things that I would consider um, specifically something like mortgages and even sometimes, like, car loans as being different is that it's when you have to put collateral down... And it's on an actual, like, an actual, like, physical item that you are currently using. And that if you, like, falter on or, um, like, default on, that can be taken away from you. Then there is, like, the more, like, okay, this is actually something that's here. That's a lot easier to, um... To justify even like, uh, well, it's more it's more local. Yeah, is the thing too. It's like in those really old movies that you watch, where like there's a farmer who's like arguing with the banker. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, "Oh, but you know, like you know me, all like I, I just need one more season, like before I bring my crop in and like have the money to pay you." And that banker who he's arguing with is the same guy who like helped finance his house. Mm-hmm. It's like. Something that I think is not necessarily wrong. However, like, once it's even, like, a further degree of separation removed from that, Mm -hmm. where it's like, who is even lending me my money? Because it's not the local bank that I know, like, who I talk to the banker with, who I'm trying to, like, convince to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah, he's beholden to a certain structure Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just like, who knows where your fucking money is? Like, then that is, like has the like a much larger propensity for evil or like exploitative uh like transactions and so there is something i think to be said for yeah i wouldn't be a complete fucking retarded like primitivist to be like oh yeah there should be no like banks i would obviously like say that, like, there should be, like, uh, currency backed by precious metals that's not yeah. just, like, a, like, monopoly money. Mm-hmm. And there shouldn't be trading within local or, like, 
commercial banks and investment banks. But that's kind of what we have today is you put your money in a bank and like, you're really not, if you ever have any sort of meeting or, or an appointment, you're not really speaking with anyone who is actually holding your money personally. Yeah. It's just this face of this massive yeah, you're, corporation. You're meeting, yeah, you're meeting with a representative exactly. who's limited in his, uh, or limited in their capabilities. But yeah, that, that also reminds me of the idea of, because uh, what, what was that movie we watched recently? It was on, it was on the GameStop thing. Or, yeah, dumb money. Yeah, dumb money. Where it's like it is this like very interesting aspect because the FDIC has, and I do have my uh, my issues with the FDIC, but uh, I think it was it was like founded like nineteen twenty seven somewhere in the nineteen twenties, but um, so the FDIC used to have like in regards to banks in order to be like federally insured, where it's over the past like. 10 or 15 years, the amount that, like, the average person is insured for has gone up. I, I, I know it used to be 100K. Now it might be closer to two or 300K. But uh, the point more so, like, within that is in order for a specific branch to be um, insured, it used to be that they needed to have 50% of the home accounts and what I mean by home accounts is the person who's saying this is my local bank because you know it's like because that really, savings no not just that, that that's not what I mean is that it's so it's so let's say like um like you bank with like Bank of America right but it's like okay they have a thousand branches but it's like you call this your home branch so it used to be that it's like let's say there's it's like liquidity like they have to have a certain amount of money yes, on them. Yes. Yes. So it's like so let's say that, so let's say they let's yeah so let's say like Bank of America has a thousand branches, but let's say there's fifteen hundred people who say this is their home branch, and those fifteen hundred people total have like thirty million in the bank. Sure. It meant that, uh, or thirty million as calling that their like home branch. It sure. used to mean that they needed to have at least fifty percent of that. Cash value yeah. in their bank, yes. and what it then what that shifted to is now it's somewhere between like I might be wrong, but somewhere between like ten to fifteen percent, mm. where it's even less. So, and that's one of the things where it's like people should be worried specifically now that like our government just printing money for the sake of printing money, and it means less than it's ever meant before. Is that as we already saw this happen a decade ago, like when the great recession started where it was like when a bunch of people no longer believed in the banks and they wanted to like withdraw their money then all of a sudden it was just like no you can't and then you saw that and that's why i brought up the like the dumb money movie which is about gamestop where it's like yeah if, if you're just an individual who wants to like do something then yeah there's usually no problem with you withdrawing or selling your stock or whatever that is but because these um institutions no, like the bar has consistently been lowered to the amount of cash that they need to have on hand, and that that yeah, it's more unstable. So that it's if there was even like a a twenty percent of a local bank that said, oh, I want to withdraw everything right now, like by the time it got to like three to five percent, they would basically just say no, like this bank right now, like this branch, 
will not give you your money. Like you, like they'll tell you, oh, yeah, it yeah, still yeah. exists, of course, but it's yeah, just like it's, it's no longer, but it's no longer it's yours. Not real, yeah. yeah, it's no longer like so. That's where it's Fucked. it is like yeah, very concerning in that aspect where it's just like because these like faux pas like aspects of the money is that it it it, it exists basically so long as people like believe in it and that's what it was like interesting sure, yeah that's what was interesting um like specifically over covid and then going a little bit into 21 and 20 2021 and 2022 when you had a lot of these like cryptocurrencies because that's what a lot of these um traders were like banking on is they were hitting on that like the truth aspect of like a lot of our money is basically just backed by belief so it's you can basically create other currencies to do the same like but the issue with things like uh cryptocurrencies are one it's depending on the like what the currency is is it could literally just be like a rug pull where someone's just trying to pump it and then like pull all the liquidity out and you lose everything sure then the other aspect too is because it's a um a non like governmental tied like entity the SEC does want to crack down on it, but then there also is a lot of like laundering that that happens within it. So sure. like even the, and that's one of the funny things. Whereas I remember in twenty twenty one telling my dad like, oh like this is completely anonymous, and my dad's like, no that's stupid. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, no they can track it, and that's what we've yeah. it, that's what we've seen over the past few years. I think uh, was it like two months ago there was a big case in uh, Germany where they seized like couple hundred or even like a couple billion dollars in assets from these people that they said like ran a scam like related to like some other thing but then they converted it into like bitcoin and like ethereum or whatever it was but it was like oh like they were able to trace it type of thing so it's still like within that because these institutions are like even now and the way that they've regulated it is that it's they can still shut that down. They can still shut down any almost any of these forms of currency at any moment under the threat of like the people who own the platforms basically say, like saying to these people, we will take everything from you and make you like cease to exist if you yeah. don't abide by these like very specific rules. And that's mm-hmm. where like something specifically with the SEC and that was one of the um the cool things that I had with uh this law class that I took with uh this professor where he worked for the sec and one of the funniest yeah. things um like within that was that uh he worked in like wa- white collar crime and what he was saying is that it's when he worked for the sec so he was like a fresh like he graduated law school and then went to work for the sec and one of the funniest stories he had was um his graduation ceremony of like going through like the training at the sec guess where he was at hmm. he was literally in Bernie Madoff's building on like let's say like the 55th floor that's hilarious and it was almost like that like Gus from uh what's it called from uh Breaking Bad where it was like like Bernie Madoff was literally like was uh what's it called was literally like was like buddy buddy with the SEC of course and and then what they found out like three years later was it was like Two floors down from where they had their graduation was literally where all the like cooking of the books was happening. Yeah, but it's still, but 
I mean, it's even like a Wolf of Wall Street type, type yeah, thing. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's like how, how much? How much time do we have right now? Uh, we're at one thirty-nine. You know what? You good? To me, yeah. It sounds like we have covered basically one section of the basic gestalt <laughs> of the superior worldview. Yeah. Of the unmastered debaters. Yeah. And we're going to pick it up on banking when we tune back in. All right. So, yeah, that's it. We will... Next uh, time, next time, uh, like, th- thanks for tuning in. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out you know, to our it's, not master deba- it's unmastered debaters. It's unmastered debaters. Yeah. Uh, a, a quick shout out to all of our sponsors. Um, Joe Rogan, um, the ghost of Jeffrey Epstein, and... Hymns? No. And, <laughs> and also uh, the, the bloodline of the... Merovingians. Um, yeah. Couldn't have done it without you guys. Yeah. And yeah, don't next, don't next, look up CIA thirteen bloodlines. Don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah, I'll put you on another list. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to do that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Until next time, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Until then, bye.